Hello, and welcome to another episode of On the Continuum, a podcast that gets into the nitty-gritty in the world of money. I'm David Rath, Chief Investment Officer at Continuum Wealth Advisors, here to remind you that when it comes to your money, very few issues are black and white. Most things exist on a continuum. It's hard to believe, but the end of the year is almost here. So with that, I thought it would be a good time to discuss some financial planning strategies that you can take between now and the end of the year that could potentially put you in a better position financially. Hi, welcome to On the Continuum. My name is JT Cox, Wealth Advisor with Continuum Wealth Advisors. Each week, we try and cover a specific financial planning topic. This week, we're going to be discussing financial planning strategies you can take between now and the end of the year, specifically about investment management. I'm joined this week by David Rath, Chief Investment Officer of Continuum Wealth Advisors, and he's going to get into some of the different investment planning strategies that we do for our clients here in-house and some strategies that you might want to consider uh, if you're managing your own investments. So David, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Yeah. Hard to believe that it's already November. And with November, we know once the holidays and things come around, time just starts to fly by. So I thought this would be a good time for us to discuss some year-end planning strategies. We're not really ready for it, but I thought this would be a good time to start to open up those conversations. The time goes faster and faster every year. But yes, it's always a good time to look forward to the next year and not necessarily wait until April 14th to start your tax planning. Absolutely. And to that point, David, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to have a series of different podcasts between now and the end of the year where I'm going to be discussing specific financial planning strategies that need to be done by year end. And today I've asked you to join and you've been gracious enough to do so because I specifically want to focus on investment management strategies that folks should consider uh, between now and the end of the year. And now some of these are strategies that people can do on their own. Some of these are strategies that I know you do in-house for clients of Continuum Wealth Advisors. Yeah. And the biggest one that we usually focus on during the year, not just at the end of the year, is something called tax loss harvesting. And I think people might be vaguely familiar about what that is. So I'm just going to detail exactly what that entails and how that can benefit somebody. And essentially what tax loss harvesting does is take an identical or nearly identical security. It can't be exactly identical, a nearly identical security and using that as a substitute for something that somebody currently holds. So as an example, I always like to say, let's say that you own Coca-Cola stock and Coca-Cola has not had a great year and the position that you currently hold is at a loss and you want to recognize the loss, but you don't want to sell out of the position because you believe in the soft drink industry. So you can sell Coca-Cola stock, buy Pepsi, which should, for all intents and purposes, have similar performance because they operate in the same industry and they're comparable companies. And this is just an example. It's not a recommendation, but that is a way for you to recognize the loss. And then if the soft drink industry improves throughout the remainder of the year, you are still on board for that that uptick in performance. Yeah. And so let's talk about recognizing the loss. Obviously, when people invest, our goal is to make money. Obviously, that's going to be the case for everyone. Why are there scenarios where we'd want to recognize a loss? What, what could be some of the benefits of doing that? A good rule of thumb is to postpone 
the amount of time that you pay taxes as long as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a taxable account and you are recognizing capital gains that year, whether it's for rebalancing, and we'll get into some other scenarios in just a bit, but if you are recognizing capital gains for that year, you have to front the money to send to the IRS to pay for the taxes that you've incurred throughout that year. If you have capital losses that are being generated without necessarily changing your investment strategy, you can then offset those gains that you've incurred throughout the year. And there's even opportunity to roll those losses forward to future years, which is a benefit because if you have five years of not paying any capital gains taxes, that money that otherwise would have been used to pay for the taxes has now potentially grown with your investment strategy. Absolutely. So I like what you said there. So the losses can be used to offset gains from other positions. So if you sell a different stock and that stock increased, so you have a gain there, you can use a loss to potentially offset that gain, reduce your taxable liability. Couple of things I want to touch on because you mentioned something important. That's the type of account that folks should consider doing this in. So you mentioned a taxable account. So do you mind just going into a little bit of detail as far as taxable versus non-taxable types of accounts and which type of account this strategy would be better served for? Yeah. So a taxable would be either an individual account or a joint account or a trust account or something that is not what is referred to as a qualified account. Qualified is usually reserved for the retirement type accounts, your IRAs, your Roth IRAs, your 401ks, all of that, all of those types of accounts are tax deferred. So you're not incurring any sort of gains throughout the year. It's just based on when you withdraw the money. And that's a whole separate conversation. Anything that's not qualified is referred to as non-qualified accounts. And that is going to be taxable in that year. So if there's any interest or dividends or capital gains that are incurred in that calendar year, you're going to have to recognize that on your tax return. Yeah. Yeah. So to that point, this is a strategy that's useful for that type of account. This is not a strategy tax loss harvesting where we would look at in a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA because there's not a taxable event taking place within the year, correct? Yeah. Essentially, it would be a waste of time. Yep. Okay. So this is really specific for folks who have a non-qualified investment account, an individual account, a joint account, a trust account could potentially fall under this category. They want to reduce their capital gains tax because you're offsetting capital gains. So do you want to talk a little bit about capital gains and some of the differences there, what you can offset, what you can't offset? Capital gains are any gains that you're seeing above and beyond what you put into an investment. So if you invested $10,000 into a stock or an ETF or a mutual fund, and that investment has grown to $11,000, you owe taxes on $1,000 worth of growth. The amount of taxes that you owe is gonna be based on a, a few different variables, being the amount of time that you've held it for, your personal tax rate, which tax bracket that you're in, and, the any capital offsets that we've done throughout the year to to generate any losses. Yep. And without getting into the specific tax brackets, because again, those change every year. So I don't know when folks are going to be watching this, but typically you've got short-term capital gains and long-term capital gains. So do you want to just talk about the difference of those two, when each would apply and, and what the tax brackets might be for those? Short-term is anything under a year. Long-term is anything over a year. And short-term is going to be whatever your ordinary income rate is. 
And long-term is going to be either zero, 15, or 20, depending on the level of income that you have for that year. Yep. And so a lot of times as advisors, I know we're usually would prefer to have the long-term capital gains tax rate because oftentimes that's lower than the ordinary income. But again, I want to be careful here because it depends on what tax bracket you're in. So it's not always the case, but typically long-term is, is better than short-term. Yeah. Now, I always, when I talk to clients, I, I always say there's two ways that you can incur a capital gain. One is if you take action. And the action you would take is I buy a, a security, I sell it at a higher price, I've taken an action, I've created a capital gain, and then I can maybe offset that capital gain by utilizing this tax loss harvesting strategy. There's another way that folks can incur capital gains, and that's without taking action. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, and that is a capital gains distribution that is typically tied to a mutual fund. So do you mind educating our listeners or or the people watching us about capital gains distributions and how you can still incur a capital gains tax without actually taking an action? It's something that catches a lot of people by surprise, Mm -hmm. especially in a year where the market really hasn't gone anywhere. Because in those types of years, mutual fund companies, and you said mutual funds primarily, there are ETFs that do distribute capital gains. And we can do a whole different episode on ETFs versus mutual funds. But a good rule of thumb is typically mutual funds will have embedded capital gains in their shares. So if you are a shareholder, you could be liable to pay taxes on capital gains in a given year, even if that mutual fund has not appreciated in value. It could even go down in value and they do a capital gain distribution and now you're stuck paying a tax for something that you didn't even have a gain to to show for it. But I will say that a point of clarification on that is, let's go back to our example and you had a $10,000 investment in a mutual fund and it didn't go anywhere. It was flat for the year, ended the year at $10,000 and that mutual fund did a $1,000 capital gain distribution for that fund that you hold, your tax basis, your cost basis in that fund is now $11,000. So you're not going to be taxed twice if that fund goes up to $11,000. It's going to now reset your basis at $11,000. So the market value of 10 is going to be showing on your statement as an unrealized loss of $1,000. So that's an important point to make. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. That's one that I know a lot of folks didn't understand that. So I think having that clarity is important. You know, the other thing you mentioned is if we think about a mutual fund and you've got a portfolio manager, what they're doing is within that mutual fund, they're buying and selling stocks throughout the year. They have to track throughout the year. If I bought this stock, is there a gain? Is there not a gain? And they're tracking what they recognize. And ultimately, that's what can lead to that capital gains distribution that we talked about. And as you mentioned, it's again, I've had a lot of clients who have been surprised that where there is a capital gain distribution, even though the fund didn't go up in value during the year, but that's because they had purchased a position maybe a long time ago. It had grown in value over five years. This year, they liquidated that position to do something else. Even though the fund didn't go up in value this year, there's still a gain that needs to be reported. That gain is ultimately kicked out to the investors, and the investors are responsible for paying the tax on that gain. Another planning point I'll make here, when do we usually see these long-term capital gain distributions take place? Usually at the end of the year. And so an even worse scenario for people would be to buy into a mutual fund in November 
with embedded capital gains of let's say 40% and that fund company decides to distribute all 40% capital gains that year. So you buy into a fund in November, you're hit with a tax bill in January for a fund that you've only owed, owed, uh, owned for two months. Yeah. And it, again, can be very difficult for clients. And, and that, that's why we want to have this uh, episode so that we can provide clarity to, clarity to go back to tax loss harvesting. A client might say to us, JT, David, I, I haven't really recognized any gains this year. I don't think we have to take any action when it comes to tax loss harvesting. Our answer to that client is we still might have to depending on the funds that you hold, whether those are ETFs or mutual funds. And we can try and monitor that, but we really want to be careful because mutual fund companies, I'll say, will send out an estimated capital gain that we'll start to get around now, right? For mutual fund companies, they'll say, we think these are going to be their estimated capital gains. But to your point, those might not be sent out till December 20th, December 25th. I've seen December 28th, 29th distributions going out. So that leaves you very little time to take action. So sometimes we want to take action ahead of time, be proactive, lock in some losses that could potentially offset gains that the client might incur. It's also just nice to have in your back pocket to have that capital loss carry forward that goes Mm -hmm. from year to year. Because at some point, if you have taxable account, you want to see some sort of gain in your money. So if you can recognize losses without changing your investment strategy, and that's the crux of this entire thing, you're not changing the investment strategy, you're moving to something that is going to perform almost identically to the investment that you sold. So without changing your investment strategy, you can recognize losses, keep them in your back pocket, because maybe three or four years down the road, you need to liquidate some of your stocks to put a down payment on a house. And instead of paying capital gains at that time, you have rolled forward capital losses over those years based on some tax loss harvesting. So it's a great tool to have in your back pocket for future years where you might have to get some sort of capital gain distribution, either from a fund or through your own actions. Yeah. And I love that point that you make. These are not, if you do recognize a a loss, you don't lose it. If you don't use it this year, you can carry that forward. And quite honestly, there's been some years in the past, I believe it was 2019 comes to mind where clients had capital gains and they said, hey, JT, what can we sell to offset this? And there was no positions at a loss because in that year, everything happened to have gone up, which is a good thing, but we couldn't really do any tax planning. Whereas if we had taken action sooner and had some losses that we carried forward into that year, that could have been used to offset that. It, It doesn't hurt to take that step and maybe capture some of these losses that can potentially be used. Any other planning points, David, or any other anything else that you want to bring up in regard? Oh, I, I have one other thing, but before I do, anything else that you'd want to bring up about uh, tax loss harvesting, capital gains distributions? We might be thinking of the same thing, but the, the, the capital loss carry forward, you can also apply currently up to $3,000 of that loss carry forward against your ordinary income for the year. So if yep. you're a high earner and your marginal rate is, let's say, 35%, that's $1,000 of taxes per year that you could save based on just recognizing losses in a in an identical strategy or nearly identical strategy. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's great. So offsetting up to 3,000 of ordinary income. And again, as David mentioned, it's really going to depend on which tax bracket you're in and who that strategy applies to. The other thing I was thinking of is the wash sale rule. You'd been very specific earlier, selling a, a position and buying something similar. 
if a client says to me, I want to buy the exact same position, the IRS has some rules in place. And do you want to just talk about those rules quickly? Yeah. So let's say you're in an S&P 500 ETF and you sell out of that S&P 500 ETF to recognize a loss and you buy into a different S&P 500 ETF. In the IRS's eyes, that is an identical product. And so you're going to be liable for the wash sale, which basically just takes the the old basis and applies it to your new investment. So it's not like there's a penalty for it. It's just that you can't recognize the benefit of recognizing the loss when you execute the anything that is determined to be a wash sale. Correct. And now there's a period of time that you can wait in order to buy that position again. Or I'll even go back to your example. Say someone says, I have Coke. I want to have Coca-Cola long-term. I'm comfortable selling it right now, but I I don't want to buy Pepsi. I want to buy Coca-Cola stock. You can buy that stock, but you have to wait a period of time, correct? 30 days. 30 days. So if you wait uh, longer than 30 days, you can go back in, purchase that stock. The risk there is if the stock price goes up in value over those 30 days. But again, that's something that you do want to consider. And that's why you move to a similar investment. And I use Coke and Pepsi just because it's easy to to reference. But there are ways of analyzing a similar investment that you can use this strategy and get 99% correlation, even though it's not an identical strategy, it's going to be giving you roughly the same performance. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so I think this has been really helpful. I hope that folks have that this has been beneficial to folks who have been watching here. So David, any other points that you'd like to make and anything else that you'd like to bring up? I think we covered most of the basis on that topic. We do that throughout the year because sometimes there's times during the year where opportunities present themselves. A lot of advisors do it at the end of the year. They look at what is currently at a loss. We like to be a bit more proactive throughout the year and recognize some losses as they are popping up through the year. Luckily or unluckily, the last couple of years have given us some opportunities to do that. And we've taken advantage of that. And as we've said, we're not changing the investment strategy. We're moving to a similar thing and recognizing the loss along the way. Yeah, which is great. And and I think that's the key, being proactive with clients, get these tax saving strategies. If we can save thousands of dollars in taxes for a client, I think that's a pretty that's a pretty good outcome at the end of the day. And it's by being proactive and that's you and your role and everything that you're doing. So it's very much appreciated by the team and, and the clients here, which is great. So with that, if you would like us to sit down and review your situation, see if you're eligible for any anything like tax loss harvesting or if it makes sense for you. I encourage you to reach out to us. You can call us at 518-583. You can also reach us on the web at www.contwealth.com. That's contwealth.com. David, thank you so much for joining us on the show here. I appreciate your time and everything you're doing on the trading, portfolio management, investment management side. Very valuable. So thank you. My pleasure. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Hope this has been valuable. Please note, the information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. Nothing discussed constitutes a recommendation. If you would like a review of your personal financial situation, please contact us at contwealth.com or call 518-583-4050.